Well, good morning, LCM. There you go, Peyton. Today's date is September 24th, 2023. We're ever nearing our time to be gathered at the One Association Conference. The hours are passing until we all land our feet in that glorious place to assemble as a holy and righteous family of God. Are you guys eagerly anticipating that gathering of the saints? Well, what should still be stirring in your souls is the content of last week's message, last Sunday's message, and also Thursday's. Did you hear the trumpet call? Did you hear the sounding of God's alarm in Yom Teruah to have urgency in our day and in our time? Has that caused a little bit of a fire underneath your seat? Cause you to rise up from being seated upon your salvation? Not daydreaming about the future, but actually standing your, in your feet and acting in the present. Well, Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, and that urgency that comes with the sound of it, it's designed to aim us in a certain direction. And it's aiming us first in those 10 days of awe. Those 10 days of introspection of evaluating the state of our hearts, the state of our actual lives, looking at the deeds that we do on a daily basis and measuring them against God's will, against his word, and against the leading of his spirit. And that honest assessment is, have we or have we not utilized every second of every day in accordance with what God has prepared in advance to do? And it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a time where you are under the weight of God's presence. You're feeling that pressing. You're feeling that weighing and measuring of your own life. Have you guys been doing that these past couple of days? I assure you that it was happening in last week's service. And it should be happening every day afterwards because it's pointing us in a certain direction. That direction with urgency is to lead to the remaining two feasts of the Jewish calendar. The one that comes next, actually the one that starts this evening at sundown is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And that Day of Atonement is then to proceed and conclude with the seventh feast of the year, and that is Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So just to back up a little bit, last weekend, that last Sunday was Tishri, the first day. The first of Tishri, that, that seventh month of the Jewish calendar. So you heard the call to take action, not tomorrow, definitely not yesterday, but to take action, to take action. So what we're going to do this morning, we will further that direction with today's message. We're just going to come out and say it. Last Sunday, this Sunday, the time that we are in the calendar, the time that we are in the millennia, our goal for the last two weeks is to light a fire under your assertiveness. That is what we're up on this stage to do this morning. So if you don't have that same goal of lighting a fire under your own assertiveness, then that is the goal that you need to put in your mind and in your heart right now. You need to be focused. You need to be honed in. You need to be ready that the Spirit of God is going to do that in you this morning. But it takes your own initiative. 
It takes the goal that you are not going to shrink back from what God has called you to do. God set us up for success this morning. It's up to you to grab a hold of it. Who's going to grab a hold of it this morning? Then grab a hold of your Bibles and turn to Zechariah chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 14 and we're going to jump straight into the scripture together this morning. I'm going to review the sounding of the trumpet concept from last Sunday. This is going to take us into our message this morning. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour they shall tread down the sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine and be full like a bull, drenched like the corners of the altar. Church, who is they in Zechariah 9? It's Israel. And who will be together with God's elect Israel? That's right. Zechariah 9, by extension, is talking about you and I, this biblical motif in this chapter is at the end of the sixth millennium. We know how close that's coming. We know how close we are in history to the end of that sixth millennium. In fact, we're going to dive even more into that concept this morning. But before we do, the concept here is that the righteous will rise to meet our Messiah. The exiled of God's nation will gather to him. We will all march out with him in his victorious approach to his capital city of Jerusalem. Man, can you feel the anticipation of that moment? That imagery we have expounded all throughout the book of Revelation, but Revelation 17, 14 is a really good note to take. But it finds its root in passages like this as well as many, many others that we could go to. But we don't have time for that this morning. This concept is at the last day, which is the day of trumpets. We will begin to retake, to subdue, to force God's dominion on the earth. As we were directed to do, all the way from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. We will begin to fully grab a hold of God's initial directive to his body on the earth. So our sum summary slide as we get into this. You're going to remember the month of Tishri, which is where we are right now. So this month of Tishri, you see that yearly God set it into Israel's calendar where they would have to contemplate, think about, and live out the very principles that we've seen and that we've spoken about. So here on the slide, in the month of Tishri, you get the fifth, sixth, and seventh feast of the Hebrew calendar that are all within a few days of each other, starting with Tishri 1, Yom Teruah, the day or the feast of trumpets. Then we move on into Tishri 10, which is Yom Kippur. Then we get to Tishri 15, which is the beginning of Sukkot. You see highlighted there in the yellow on the screen that in between Tishri 1 and Tishri 10, you have some amazing things that go on. We spoke about this a lot last week and in the weeks to come. That We're talking about the treading of the winepress of God and the ingathering of the entirety of the nation, of the remnant of Israel that will be there. 
See, we understand that these are complex topics. Can somebody agree with that? But these have been taught for hundreds of hours here at LCM. Hundreds and hundreds of hours of teaching on these very topics. But they're not taught about enough in the body of Christ as a whole, which has resulted in a general deficiency in understanding. If you're glazing over right now, because either A, you think I got this completely, or B, you're not quite sure how this relates to you, don't you do that. We are talking about lighting a fire underneath your assets. Assertiveness, that too. Both. We're not just talking about the fire that your neighbor has and you being warmed by their fire. We're talking about a fire that you have because you understand, you grasp, and you implement while you're applying these very teachings. See, none of the New Testament apostolic fathers, no one in the Word of God, would have thought and found it acceptable for any believer to have anything less than a firm grasp on these actual topics. Because when you understand these topics that we're speaking to you about, it gives you the appropriate understanding of the return of the Lord. And you know what that does? That actually influences your every action, your every decision, your every day, your every hour that you're involved in. So for the purposes of today, we are not going into the judgments within the body of Christ like the separation of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. But they can all be placed between Yom Teruah on Tishri 1 and the Day of Atonement on Tishri 10, when all of Israel will be saved. So let me help you to get this in a simple manner. The armies surrounding Jerusalem will be destroyed prior to the Day of Atonement so that they can be, and all of Israel will be gathered so that they can actually be atoned for. Right? So for your reference, let's look at, you can turn to Romans eleven twenty six 26 on your own time, and it says that all Israel will be saved, which requires that all enemies have been destroyed and Israel has been regathered. See, when you look through the prophets, you will see this over and over and over again in an unending and an unyielding kind of message to make sure that the people of God get this. For example, in Ezekiel 36 and 37, it depicts Israel being redeemed in heart and in spirit, resurrected as as a nation, and reunified under Messiah himself. Isn't it good that we have a father who helps us get his plan? I mean, he actually reminds us again and again and again of what he desires to accomplish. That's a good father. Well, God does everything with absolute intentionality and purpose that spans the course of time. And his intention for Yom Teruah is that it was to be a reminder. Yet I say it to be a rehearsal. Something that you're going to practice again and again and again. You're getting familiar with the pattern of the heavens now coming down to earth. God's overall design, the culmination of the ages. Well, there's an importance for the reminder and rehearsal that we get to participate in. That the events are at hand for our thousand-year day or millennium. Today is a day we should be contemplating such things because it pertains to the works that we do now as they speed his coming. So let's just make sure we get that. There are works that God predestined in advance for you to do. Those works play a part in leading to the culmination of the ages and the return of Messiah. 
right? So what began with the creation of Adam then was to progress in the fulfillment of what we see in Revelation 22. Each of us play a part with the God-ordained works that he has put before us on a daily basis. Now, let's expound upon that. The outcome of our generations in the near future hinge upon our understanding and our application of these very things. And this is what I mean, is that whenever you begin to get revelation of the works you have been assigned to, the ones prepared in advance, there's a tendency that we have. And it's really two different kinds of tendencies. The tendency can be to look so far in the future that then you are loathing or backing up from the works that are prepared in advance for today. That you want to leapfrog. You want to skip ahead to what God has said in the future and not really pay attention or give devotion to what he has said to do today. The other way around. Let's flip this coin. The other way around is that God is encouraging you. He is forecasting what your future is to be. But it is so great, it is so grand, it then becomes a dreadful weight upon your shoulders. And so, therefore, you just want to stay into today. You just want to stay within the boundaries and the confines of your current time because you're so scared that you may not fulfill what God has said in the future. Can I say that both are wrong. Both are wrong. The goal is that we are to stand in the present with the hope of the future because we're doing the works of the present. When you understand where we are on the clock, God's clock, that is ticking down to the fulfillment of his plan, it will begin to inform your actions. It will begin to light a fire underneath your assets. It will begin to move you, to stir you, to action that there is no time to waste because, number one, God's name and his, his word demands it from you. Number two, the body of Christ depends on you to have that fire ignited underneath you. So as I look into your eyes and as I engage with you, as we engage with God's word, do you really have that fire at work in you now? Is it burning, moving you to urgency and to action? Is it stirring within your soul that says, yes, I want to hear God's word, but more importantly, I got to get up and actually do it right here and right now. You know that being a son in the kingdom of God is not a spectator sport. Everyone is a participant in his plan. And it requires your daily and your constant action. When we're talking about God's clock with you this morning, our minds can really, they tend to get lost in all the numbers. Like, oh, 216, 52, 12, 7, 7,000, 6,000, 57, 84. There are so many numbers that are floating around that we've presented to you in the last seven days. But we want to tell you that it's imperative. It's a necessity that you understand conceptually what is going on. Now, we're not asking you to memorize all the numbers, but we are asking you to get the revelation of where we are as deep in your soul as you possibly can. So we're going to bring back our slide from last Sunday to make sure that everyone has an actionable awareness of where we are in history. So Yom Teruah, Jewish dating, 
You learned last week that on last Sunday it was Tishri 1 of 5784. So that was Yom Teruah. It was the first day of the Jewish year of 5784 last week. The very same day as the future return of Messiah. That's the day that, that Jesus will return to the earth. Now, on the right side, you also learned about the Jewish Essene day, which, by the way, is very, very popular. The Essenes are located historically around the Dead Sea. So they had the Dead Sea Scrolls and were very, very good at preservation tactics throughout history. So if that tells you anything, if they're coming out with a date, it's worth us contemplating. The Essene date on last Sunday was Elul 29 of 5948. That should be shocking to you. As Matthew 24 indicates that no one knows the exact day or hour. So you can see on that slide right there that there is disagreement among Jewish lines of thought as to exactly what the year and what the exact date is. But if you consider the differences on that slide in light of a 6,000 or a 7,000 year plan of God, that's not very much different between 52 years and 216 years. In light of a 7,000 year plan, that's not that much. That means that there really is a camaraderie between these dates, and they're very close. Pastor Wade's going to put that in perspective for you with a couple numbers, a couple questions that will not only jog your memory, but will inspire you with some rough calculations. He's going to really be the teacher and the educator that Pastor Wade is for us right now. Y'all ready for some rough calculations? To give you an idea. Now, some of you, the whole point of this is we don't want you to glaze over on the numbers. We want you to actually find some actionable items through this understanding. Y'all ready? Yeah. Are y'all ready? Yeah. See, they're not excited about the numbers, but you will be. I promise. So if you take the longest figure that's on the screen, the one that's on the left, the idea that we're just past Tishri 1 of 5784. So we're in the sixth millennia. At the end of this, looking at the 6,000-year mark is what we're aiming at. That gives us about 216 years left between our moments now and that 6,000-year mark. Or put another way, less than three lifetimes at a lifespan of 75 years. Just three lifetimes. That's amazing. If you take the shorter figure there of the Essenes, then it would mean that you have a maximum of 52 years left are less than one singular lifetime. Okay, I'm 48. You're basically talking about the lifespan of my life that would be left if that 52 years is right. No, I, I can envision, <laughs> I'm now at the point in my life where I can envision about 50 years because that's how long I've been alive. You're not talking about a very long time span. Let us help you a different way. Some of you think about numbers differently. So if we set it differently, if you take the longer amount of time that is remaining in mainstream Judaism, it means you, that you have 3.6% left of God's plan for his millennial week. 3.6%. If you take the shorter, that means that it is 0.86% of the time left. Less than 1% of the time that would be left 
to achieve all that God intends for us to achieve. So if that didn't help you, we got one more for you. If you take these calculations of time left in a single day and put them as hours on the clock, would that help you? Let's put it as hours on the clock. Then at, we are in the last five hours at the longest. Five hours. And at the least, you are in the last one hour and 14 minutes of Adonai's plan for the sixth day of the millennial week. One hour and 14 minutes, or at most, about five hours of time left. Of an entire week. Of an entire week. Come on now, think about it for a second. You're, you're working on a project at work. It's your last day at work. It's the last five hours of time before the deadline hits. It's the last one hour and 14 minutes. What is it like inside of you, that urgency? You're like, oh my goodness. I'm not sure if I'm going to get this done. Look at what has to be done. And you focus in. What if you're the last five hours before you take a trip? The last five hours before you get ready for the One Association Conference. Or if you're like the Sutherlands. The last one hour and 14 minutes, which is when you begin your packing. You're planning and trying to figure out Everything that you've got to throw in that vehicle. Can I tell you that there's a sense of urgency? Again, no one, no man knows the exact day or hour, but we do know the millennia that we're in. Can somebody say amen? amen. Our millennium is one where beast and man will dwell on the earth and man is told to subdue. The father knows the exact time that his plan will unfold. And, somebody say and. He has revealed his insight to us that the hour is at hand. That is the title of today's message. The hour is at hand. So we would like for you to turn to Romans chapter 13. And as you turn, say, the hour is at hand. We're going to pick up in verse 11. And do this because we know the time. That it is already the hour for us to awake from sleep. For our salvation is now nearer than when we became believers. The night has advanced towards dawn. The day is near. So then we must lay aside the works of darkness and put on the weapons of light. Let us live decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in discord and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to arouse its desires. Now, as this verse 11 began, already the hour, meaning that the hour is already at hand. And as declared in this, this very passage, because we know the time. You know, drawing close to the Father will reveal the plans that he has stored up. And he'll begin to reveal exactly what those secrets are. And what your part and your participation is in it. What Paul is expounding upon is that he is seeing the culmination of God's plan now revealed and starting to take place on earth. We get to participate with that same revelation. 
that we can sense in our spirit, but also we can see the fulfillment of his word coming about. That sense of urgency that it is already the hour, the hour of God's plan unfolding on earth that leads to the Messiah's reign and rule on earth. And notice how in this passage he says, our salvation is now nearer. Well, one thing that that can bring to mind is something that we've been preaching about since last Sunday. Is that you have that seventh month in the Jewish calendar of Tishri, the month we're in now. And you start in the first day of that month, and you progress towards the 10th. On the 10th, it is Yom Kippur. So that means that on day one of Tishri, which initiates Yom Teruah, you hear the trumpet call to pay attention. You spend 10 days of awe and introspection, afflicting yourself with fasting and repentance and offering food to the Lord. And in doing so, you are ever anticipating that nearness to salvation, that nearness to the day of atonement when God would declare his nation as redeemed and paid for. When we look at this, we see that darkness is advancing toward dawn. What is that dawn? That dawn is the light of a Messiah that will soon appear. And when it appears, the kingdom of God being fully established on earth and darkness no longer has dominion. But God's full dominion is enacted on earth. Well, what does that mean for us? It's the same directive that's given in Romans 13. We are to put on the weapons of light. The weapons of light. You know what that looks like? It looks like living daily in holiness. Now, let's just get something out there that's obvious. What do you need weapons for? You need weapons to go to war. And weapons of light, meaning weapons that come from the purity of God's presence, the center of his holiness. So you, therefore, are to put on a life that is clothed and ruled by holiness. A life that is constantly giving honor to God's name and God's word, taking it serious at every second of every day. Well, I don't know. Maybe this harkens back to what was spoken in Matthew 4, 16. I'll read it to you. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From the time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know that just because darkness was all around, it did not prevent Jesus from being the light that began to drive it out? Well, the same goes for you. Is that if he is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, because he is in you, though you are surrounded in darkness, it cannot overcome his light that is at work within you right here and right now. It is an offensive weapon that you have, meaning that the purity, the holiness of his presence inside of you begins to cause darkness to repel. It begins to cause it to be driven back, and it takes notice of your presence. So therefore, why must you have such an urgency? It's because we are dwelling in the days and times of darkness, but it is time for the people of God to live in his light and shine it brightly. Guys, 
today is what we're talking about right now. You know that today is the ninth of Tishri? The ninth of Tishri is quite significant. If you hark back to the slide that we just had, the ninth is the day before Yom Kippur. The day before Yom Kippur is a very special day on the calendar year. It's set aside for eating, set aside for preparing for the next day of Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement. So we wanted to take you through a few activities that are going on right now among God's people the day before Yom Kippur. So today, chickens are being slaughtered for atonement among the Jews. Today, pieces of honey cake are being requested and being received. Today, two festive meals are eaten, one at the beginning and one at the end of the day. Today, there are immersions, ceremonial washings be going on right now. Today, charities are being given from the heart among God's people. Today, children are prayed over and blessed from the scriptures. And today, special candles are lit. And prayers for this particular day of Yom Kippur are given to the Lord. Now, we're obviously not Jews, and you know that. So we're not commanded to keep the day before Yom Kippur in this particular way, which is why we're not doing it. But you know that we can certainly learn from what Adonai commanded his people to do on this day. We want you to consider some of these actions that you can participate right now with us in. So firstly, purposeful repentance is a part of the day before Yom Kippur. Secondly, purposeful thanking God that the blood of the Lamb of His Son has qualified you for this season and has qualified you to stand today, to not shrink back. Thirdly, purposeful words that sow into your wife, your children, and this family of God. That's what the day before Yom Kippur is all about. And finally, purposeful fellowship, intentionality within the day that you are living right now to make sure that today you accomplish the will of God. We'd like to put up another slide for you to show you again. In the month of Tishri, we want to draw your attention to the days between Tishri 1 and Tishri 10, which are known as the days of all. Everything that Pastor Nick just spoke with you about are the things that are going on leading into Yom Kippur on Tishri 10. See, now being reminded about Yom Kippur and what the entire nation of Israel is doing this week and doing today. Somebody say today. today. I literally got an email that I shared with my brothers this morning that was listing out everything that Pastor Nick just said in a call in a modern email that was sent out this morning that reached my inbox from Chabad.org that was saying exactly what Pastor just said. I mean, it's going on right now. We also know that we're in the 10 days of all leading up to Yom Kippur. We want you to begin to evaluate your own life in that way. Okay, so every year on the Jewish calendar, they have to practice this. They get to Yom Teruah, and then there's 10 days of introspection, 10 days of repentance, 10 days that they are preparing for the salvation that only God can bring. 
That's an amazing thought, and we are trying to encourage you and light a fire under you that will cause you to treat these days the exact same way. The point we're making is not about an exact date or an exact time, but it's instead about the way that we evaluate the time we think we have, as well as how our view, how we view our position in the very plan of God. Man, did you hear what Pastor Matt said earlier? Either we're dreading the future and we want to stay in today, or we ignore today and want to get to the future. Anybody honest and say that you're both of those things at any given moment? See, the 10 days of all leading into Yom Kippur are a great and necessary reminder. But knowing that we are on the precipice of this time within the larger view of God's plan, the seriousness of our purpose-based actions to get these foundational pursuits right, and that we must do on a daily basis, on a consistent basis. That kind of thinking, that kind of understanding, that kind of lifestyle could not be any more important than it is right now for you, for this church, and for everything that we have before us. All right, y'all going to talk to us this morning? Yeah. Talk to me. Say yeah. yeah. There we go. Over this past week, in an honest assessment, have you gained a spiritual sobriety about your own life? Have you been wrestling with how much time have I actually been wasting and now need to repent of and do the will and works of the Father? It's changed your life. It's changing your life. So to help put these things in perspective, let's, let's revisit something again that's very important. Ten years. Everybody say ten years. Think about you. In this very moment, if you had only 10 years to live, how would your life change? What would you do differently on a daily basis? Well, I can say this. It would change the way that you spend time with your spouse. It would change the way that you invest the word into your kids. It would significantly transform the way you interact with this body. I mean, that, that's 10 years. So right now it's 2023. That would mean 2033. You're gone. Standing in the cloud of witnesses with the ancients. That means that there's no more work that can be done from that point forward. Now that's 10. What about five? We trim it down. Five. So in 2028, which will be here before you know it, would that create more urgency than it would if it were 10? Why? Why? What is the difference? See, I baited myself into that question. Why is it that I can look at 10 years and feel a bit more relaxed as it compares to five? It's because we like that buffer of what is a finality because we really want the padding in our present. What about five months? Oh, oh, even greater intensity. Pastor, that fire is starting to get warm. Y'all want to break it down some more? Because we're good at numbers. That's five months. What about five weeks? What about five days? Oh, nay, I say five hours. Five hours. 
trim it even more, one hour and 14 minutes. Wouldn't that sever away the superfluous of what you have to do right now? How important is that Chinese buffet right now if you have an hour and 14 minutes to live? How precious is that one item you've been saving for to buy at TJ Maxx? It's rubbish. If those are the very small and petty things, what about the even greater things that we put emphasis on that aren't eternal? You know, Leonard Ravenhill had a mezuzah statement of mezuzah statements. And he said, live in the light of eternity. That means you're always keeping eternity in mind. Meaning that what of today has to do with eternity. And that is the only priority to have. Oh, we can sing the children's song. Seek ye first the kingdom of and his righteousness. Finish it. Yes. All these things shall be added unto you. Not today. All right, we're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> it's scripture. It's a beautiful song. But what about the reality of what it does to you right now? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? It means to understand the hour in which you're living in. And the finite, limited time you have been allotted to do God's will. We're at a super unique moment in history today. I know you guys felt it last week, but we want you to feel it even more this week. We want that anticipation of what is to come cause your actions to be different when you walk away from this building today. We're approaching a transition in God's history. We're on the threshold between what we call today and what he calls tomorrow. Six millennia of human endeavors right around the corner are just going to end and that transition is going to occur. We're approaching the very climax of all of God's plan from Genesis 1 from the very beginning. Today we say that the hour is at hand. Guys, our goal is to work to possess the reality of the world to come while we choose to face the final hours of the very worst that the enemy of God and the enemies of God can throw at us. Who is ready to face those challenges with us? Who is ready to rise up? and face the very worst that the enemy of God can throw at you. You're built for it. We are not of those who are going to shrink back. You have all been trained to be ministers of the gospel. Not tomorrow, not 10 years from now, but right now. You have what it takes already to minister the gospel of Christ together with this brotherhood. Guys, knowing this kind of revelation, we personally know men who it caused them to pray and seek the Lord, and the Lord spoke to them and said, hey, it's time to go around the world and begin to preach the gospel. 
That is not a cut and dry, one size fits all for all of us in this room though. What God clearly has stated to us is that he is building something that is not going, not going to see change right now in this moment. He's building something that he is going to make sure lasts from generation to generation to generation. Whether that be three lifespans or whether that be almost one lifespan. What he's building here, he is making sure right now today that it lasts throughout tomorrow and throughout the 6,000 years that we have. Guys, God is so good to us. He's not going to let us go out on our own, affect a generation, and then die out like 99% of the ministers that we see around us. He's not going to let us do that. Man, your heart should be so thankful and excited for the things that he's showing you to get down in your soul. The righteous actions that he is pricking your heart about that you haven't yet been consistent on. You should be so excited and grateful to your king that he's not going to let you go without a good foundation. These days are ordained for all of us to make sure that there is a lasting testimony still around on this earth before his return. You don't get to choose how many days you have left. You can only choose to make the most of the day that you have right now. Knowing that the time is short, having that fire kindled underneath your own assertiveness. We're going to move further in our time by engaging in what the scriptures say about our own perspective on God's plan. And guys, if you really grab a hold of this, if you grasp that this hour is intended for you to have secret revelation and to be able to calculate the time and everything else in your life differently, then it's going to change your Christian walk. It's going to change everyone around you because of the fire that you have burning deep inside of you. In fact, this past week, we have seen men of God get a genuine revelation that they've cried out to the Lord and had a fire kindled. And guess what? It's beginning to kindle the flame of this entire church. It's beginning to change the atmosphere of the families that are together in this room. It's beginning to help us as a congregation to say, the time is short and the time is now to do the will of God. And it's not tomorrow. Church, turn with us to Psalm 90. As you're turning to Psalm 90... You got to know that the hour is at hand to rally to your post together with your family and your team with a renewed and supernatural fervor for what God wants to accomplish right now. There is no sacrifice that is too great. There is no cost that is too high if you know that you are in the last few hours of Adonai's plan. Come on, church. You need to grasp this. Everybody look up at me right now. You need to grasp what we're saying. You need to understand that there is a cry because the hour is at hand for us to rally to our post where you've been assigned, not just running around feeling an urgency and not knowing what to do with it. We're going to show you today how to rally to your post, to stand. We are not the kind of church that wants to give you a lullaby. We're trying to teach you how to make a war cry in this house. 
that that fire that you have is for your post. That cannot be overstated in this place. Now look with us at Psalm chapter 90, beginning in verse 1. Listen to what Moses writes. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, this first verse of this psalm sets the context for everything coming after. You should understand that the coming verses are in light of the God of all the generations, and as the God who was before the creation and oversaw with intentionality and purpose, he oversaw its construction, as well as the God who formulated his millennial plan and the exact time frame that it is to be completed. Take a look at verse 7 with us. Skip down to verse 7. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. Wow. Wow. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. How secret does that sound to him? Not at all. Not at all. all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Or the 2011 says, if our strength endures. Yet their span is but tr trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and we fly away. Yeah, we won't even get into that. That is not an admonition for the rapture, I can assure you. That wicked, ridiculous, childish kind of thing that says that you can skip ahead in time, and you don't actually have to man your post now and keep an eye on the time to understand that the hour is at hand. Look at verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Wow. Verse 12 says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So the psalmist's cry is that we may learn to number our days aright. How are you supposed to calculate your own days? How are you supposed to look at the days that you've been given? That our every action and decision would be in consideration of the God of all the generations. The God who was before the earth and made the earth. And even most poignantly, that our every action would be made in consideration of the fact that we have so little time to accomplish Adonai's will on the earth. We have very, very short amount of time to accomplish what God has for us. The final result of this kind of wrestling before God, have you guys felt that wrestling internally? That the final result of this wrestling would be that the gaining, that you gain a heart of wisdom. Where does it say this wisdom is centered? In your heart. See, as Westerners, we think of the wisdom of God as being something in our intellect. When you number your days right, you gain, you have to gain a heart that has been filled with wisdom. So how do you do that? You are asking God and look, looking at the days and the time that you have so that you might rightly gain this heart of wisdom. 
A heart of wisdom is what we need to accomplish the Lord's will in our remaining generations before he returns. There's much work to be done. Can somebody say amen to that? We've got to build more churches. We've got to have men from every nation that are represented before the very throne of God. Church, we have a lot of work to do, and we're in the final hours. We can't delay for any reason, for any amount of comfort, for any calculation of cost, or any lack of courage. We must see this through to the very end because we will see him soon and, in fact, very soon. We're going to take a slide and then continue to verses 16 and 17 together. So teach us to number our days. This is about Psalm 90 that we just read. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days. The same Hebrew is used for teach here as is used for know in Psalm 90.11. The so marks the infinite importance of this knowledge. Did you hear that? The infinite importance of this knowledge of being able to number your days aright, which is to be learned only from God, not by natural ability. You see, the numbers are important. You got to know the numbers so that you have some sort of structure, some sort of framework. But what we're going after today is that the Spirit of God would breathe upon that knowledge. That He would teach you what it means to number your days aright. That His Spirit would light a fire under you this morning. That you would utilize today because it was His strength, His wisdom, His power, the fear of who He is that would be driving you along. Driving your every action. Causing you to steer away from fleshly lusts. Causing you to utilize your time rightly. Causing you to sacrifice for the kingdom. The object for which he wishes God to make us men know how to number our days is in order that we may know the power of God's anger. Do you know the wrath that is to come? Do you know what happens when Messiah comes back? You see, the perspective that we've been giving you is almost all positive this morning. Except that the knowledge, the revelation of the fear of God and the wrath that is to come when he returns is also just as important as knowing that you will rise to him and fight with him for his people. Knowing what he brings, what Messiah brings back with him for wrath of people that especially for people who knew the good they needed to do and did not do it. The people who had a genuine revelation of who he was and looked to tomorrow and looked and had regret over the past. Everywhere they looked instead of what they must do right now. Lord, make us men who know how to number our days. Make us men who know the power of God's anger so that we may apply ourselves to God's wisdom and do what we must today and now in this time. Here's what should be happening in you right now. There should be a stirring 
there should be a desperation. There should be that cry that says exactly the words that we read from this psalm. Teach us. Teach me, O God, to number my days aright. Is that your cry? Is that your desperation? Do you feel the urgency of God's mandate to ask him to help you understand? As that's stirring in your soul, let your heart, look, come on. This is not an intellectual message. This is not one to be absorbed with the mind. It is to be grasped with the center of your being, your heart. Why? Because we forget things in our minds all the time. But when the seed of God's word is truly planted in the center of your heart, it changes everything you do from that day forward for the rest of your life. What do we want as a body? What do we want as a church? We want to ever be changing according to the hour that is ha at hand for us. Verse 16 and 17, let your heart grasp God's cry through this man. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to the children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The work of our hands and that of our children, it's hanging in the balance of the final hours that we're in in Adonai's plan. As we are looking forward to the seventh millennial day. Let us begin to take on a corporate cry for a heart of wisdom. And that comes through the sobriety of knowing the power of God's anger and his ability to teach us how to number our days aright. So many of our carnal calculations and considerations of cost, they would absolutely evaporate if we had the courage to consider how little time we have before we and our children meet our king. That truly... His kingdom is worth it all. Perhaps, perhaps in these very final hours, it can be the beginning of the end for you. In that you begin to lose your life all the way up to the point you are all in all in Christ himself. There is nothing on the fringe, nothing put in a savings account that is separate from the heavenly account. But all is laid at his feet. It will start with your very cry and desperation of, Father, teach me. Teach me to number my days so that no time is wasted on your behalf and what you've redeemed me for and invested in me. Psalm 90 was written by Moses. Now turn with us to Psalm 39. Psalm 39 was a psalm that was written from David on similar topics. We're going to read one verse from Psalm 39. It's going to be verse 4. Verse 4 really encapsulates the heart, the core of what David is crying out for in this verse, or in this psalm. Show me, O Lord, my life's end. Show me, O Lord, my life's end. In the number of my days, let me know how fleeting is my life. 
David's crying out for the very same thing that Moses was crying out for. Why would this king of Israel, this shadow and type of Messiah, the one who would give Jesus the very name, the son of David, why would he pray that he would know the number of his days and that he would know how fleeting his life was? He did that because the closer to the Lord that David became, the more he could feel the sense of urgency that he needed to feel to accomplish the will of God. And that urgency awakened his soul as he cried out and God placed that fear and that urgency inside of his soul. And he awoke to the reality that the hour of his day to work was at hand. There was no time to waste. Only time to make haste in accomplishing Adonai's purpose for both him and for his generation. You see, David's day was not the sixth millennium like ours is. But he knew that his hour was purposed by God in order to prophetically speak of the day Messiah would rule the earth. He displayed the urgency that all men of every generation must have. But... For us, even more so in the final hour of our king's return, are you getting a revelation of how important our time is? David's heart was that there was no time for delay. What must be done now to accomplish the will of God in my time? For David, no cost was too high. Acts 13 actually speaks that he did accomplish Adonai's purpose for him in his generation, will you accomplish Adonai's purpose for you in yours? Church, you should, you should be able to feel that the darkness is only getting darker. But you should also know that the dawn is soon approaching. See, this, these days in the month of Tishri, this concept that we are right on the edge of Yom Kippur should produce a Yom Kippur type of repentance in our actions. I won't need to ask you about the kind of repentance if we're saying that these are the final hours. What do your days look like? Are you in control of your days or are you having a burden, an urgency, a passion to do what God says? Are you consumed with things that don't really matter in the light of eternity? What's the honest answer to that? Yes. But today's the kind of day that we can actually have real repentance and move forward in what God has said. Psalm 139 talks about that all of the days that were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. You don't get to choose what your actions are. That means you're in control of your life. He determines your actions. He determines your steps. And you think he's just going to wink at you? I got you. You're okay when he comes back. See, we are used to having a world that says it doesn't really matter when we say there's a deadline. Because we're just going to let you slide anyway. There is no sliding through this in what God has for you. You've been assigned something. You have a purpose. All of the days of your life were ordained and written down in a book before you ever got here. 
do the days that you're living in now, the way that you are living, match the kind of actions that God wrote for you in his book? My God, no wonder we need a fire inside of us. No wonder we've got to say, Lord, teach me to number my days. Give me a heart of wisdom. You are so supreme. We talk about his loving and good nature, but he is also exacting. He is sovereign. He doesn't deserve less from you because you love him. He deserves more. He deserves your all. You do not have an infinite amount of time to work. How arrogant is it that you think that you can put off the work that God has said? How procrastinate. That's arrogance to the highest degree because that means you get to choose. If he told you to do something, maybe it's going to take every ounce of, of the time, of the seconds, of the days, of the years that you have to accomplish what he said. Who are you to procrastinate on what God has said that you must do? Well, I kind of halfway did it and I'll move on to the next thing. Like you get that choice. There's only so much in our time there's only so much time that we have to work. There is coming a time where you will not be able to work. Turn with us to John chapter 9. See, the hour is at hand as you turn. John 9, beginning in verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So let's, let's think about this. Contemplate. If Jesus was consistently thinking about his limited time and working the works of his father, then what does that mean for us? If he, the perfect son of God, who only did what he saw the father doing, only said what he heard the father saying, if he had a specific window of time to get his work done, what does that mean for you? Like Pastor Wade was saying, what right do you have to procrastinate? I mean, it's a hypothetical. What if Jesus just looked at the Father and said, uh, I only want to heal the blind man today. I'll save uh, the lepers for tomorrow. It's insolence. Of course, we don't say that directly to the Father. We actually ignore what he did say and partially do it or not do it at all. Now, the inverse is true, too. The inverse is Jesus did not enter into ministry until the Father said so. He did not speed ahead at the age of 12 and say, Mary, Joseph, Father, I'm on my own. I'm going to enter into ministry right now because I see that I'm so anointed and gifted. You realize that from the age of 12 to 30, he spent not advancing his own call. Of course, he never advanced his own call. 
but he spent humbly submitted to the authorities that God put over his life because he was honoring his heavenly father's authority. I'm called to be a pastor. If you don't recognize it, I'm going to go somewhere else and do it myself. Because it's just burning in me, man. The kind of urgency and burning you should have is, Father, I'm not going to do one thing more than what you said, and definitely not one thing less. The time to work is while it is day, meaning that while I have breath within my lungs and the ability to move and live in his presence, paying attention to every word that he says and direction that he gives, because no amount of time can never be wasted. Let's further this in Deuteronomy. Everybody begin to turn to that book, chapter 26. Yep. Once you get to chapter 26, turn to 28 for a sober reality. Deuteronomy 28, 67 is smack dab in the middle of the cursed way to live out your remaining days. It's a word from the Lord God about the curses that come upon a man who does not live out today for his king. What that life looks like exactly. You guys ready for some more sobriety as we quickly approach a close together? In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel. And the sights that your eyes shall see. Guys, we're going to dig into this, but I need to say it one more time. Today... We are standing in literally the most unique time in history up to our point throughout the entire historical day. We're on the threshold between what we call today and what we call tomorrow. Are we standing here at this most unique portion of history and every part of you is screaming, that the day and the hour that we are in right now is not that important. Where we're standing, I mean, we can feel that it's getting more important, but truthfully, today isn't as important as these pastors are presenting to us. You thinking, are you feeling that the time will go on just as it always has? That today is really no different than yesterday. And tomorrow probably won't be or won't feel that special either. We're here this morning to tell you that those ideas and that way of thinking is patently false. It's wrong in every single way. And we're continuing to pray as we come to a last scripture here in a moment. That the Spirit of God will continue to light that fire. The Spirit of God will continue to stand together with the revelation that He's given us and give you personally, in your soul, in the depths of your heart,
the revelation needed to consistently live for him. So let's continue to engage with this passage that you see on the screen. So I have a direct question for you. What are you feeling dread about in your heart as of late? That dread almost always has to do with your future roles in this final hour that is upon us. Things that God has spoken to you that you will be and you will do. But the question that this verse makes us demands that we begin to ask is, are you wishing it was evening when it's really morning? Are you wishing that your workday were done, that you were further along than you really are? are you, do you wish that it was evening when it was morning? Do you wish that it was morning, the beginning of something fresh, instead of the evening where you still have labor yet to do? Are you wishing that you were already someone now that God has said you will be later? The reason that we are making you and demanding of you that you engage with this concept is because some of you right here in this room, you've come to the exact wrong conclusion based on the message last week and the message that we're preaching to you today. Because you are focused on tomorrow and not what you must do in your post right now today to be able to achieve God's will. You're feeling, feeling the excitement and the urgency. And so now, like Ahimaaz, you're just trying to run somewhere. With nothing to say, longing in your heart, dreading what's going on and longing that it were evening instead of morning or morning instead of evening. What must you consistently and faithfully do in your post? That is what the timing is supposed to cause you to be moved towards. God, you will demand of me that I do everything that you have written in that book. And I must do it in the time that you gave me. You will never achieve God's purpose, the Lord's goals in your generation when you're always wishing it was a different time than what you've been given. If only it were evening. This is part of a curse that God is articulating for his people. The curse is, is that you're wanting it to be some other time than where he's assigned you and some other goal in some other post. We're going to give you a, a solution here. Somebody ready for a solution? Can anybody acknowledge that you've wanted it both to be evening and morning, whatever's not in your purview? And that is an honest response, and I love it. And there's some of you, if you're not careful, you're going to miss out on this. It is a scoffing idea. It is, you are a scoffer if you think that things will continue on the way that they've always been. 
Second Peter declares that. You are scoffing at God if you think it's just going to be okay and you got time. So here's the solution. You got to find out what provision for the flesh that you must cut off right now. And you've got to do it without delay. Then, somebody say then. Then you go full speed to implement the ways of life of where God has put you. The ways of life that you see in your pastors and elders. Especially the ones that you're most intimidated by. Especially the ones that you've been procrastinating on. Unfaithful to. And just plain dreading have to do on your own. You have got to get there right now. Cut away the fleshly provision right now. Do not delay and move towards the post that God has assigned to you. Not comparing someone else's post. Well, Pastor Nick is, well, maybe, how about you stand where God put you and in the brotherhood that's there as we're each in our post, counting the time, having our hearts full with wisdom because we've been taught to number our days aright, then we collectively accomplish God's will. But you will still be held responsible for your portion of what you do or fail to do. You want to honor the king with a life that is well spent, that is pleasing to him. Pastor Wade hit on a few things that are very important. We've been around for a little while. We've been in the kingdom to see those that have risen to stand at their post faithfully and those that have abandoned it. I hate looking at pictures from the past sometimes because I see those that are no longer with us, and I know why. It wasn't from a lack of pastoring. It was from a lack of actual courage to cut off what was carnal temporal and robbing them of the fortitude to be faithful. They sat in the same seats that you're sitting in right now. And they would be as so polite and cowardly to scoff in their own heart, if not to turn to their neighbor and whisper certain things. Only to find out that the closer that they got to their hour of destiny, the less equipped they were to rise up in it. It's not because they were deprived of being prepared. It's they neglected to take it seriously. Let's all turn to Daniel chapter 8. Say the hour is at hand. This will be our final scripture. And it gives us the solution to not have a heart that scoffs or one that is blind, weak, and lame and misses the hour at hand. Daniel 8.26, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Pay attention here. Then I rose. Then I rose and went 
about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. You see, Daniel received a a revelation detailing the culmination of the ages of God's plan and his desire to usher in the reign of Messiah. That is what was being revealed to Daniel. The angel declares to him that the plan revealed in the evenings and the mornings are true, and therefore they can be trusted. But it had a consequence in Daniel's hearing of it. We are declaring to you the truth of our final hour in this sixth millennium. And if the reality of this truth spoken nearly 2,600 years prior to our current time caused Daniel such dread, caused him to be overcome and laying sick, then it should also be a heavyweight revelation resting upon your soul right now. This revelation is not only intended to press into your being the reality of God's plan. It is primarily aimed at stirring you unto action. You are to respond as Daniel did and rise from your dread. Stand to your feet from that dread and actually go about doing the king's business. You see, he focused on the present knowing that it played a part in what would be fulfilled in the future. What is in your present that you are partially doing or all the way neglecting? What is the the result of dread hanging upon you, having an effect in the way that you're living in today? It's time to rise to your feet. It's time to stand up in your convictions of who God is, who he has made you, and the hour he has placed you in. And then it's of the import to do the will of the Father today. Everybody say that, I can. can. Shout that, I can. can. Do the will of the Father. Father. Say it again, I can. can. Do the will of the Father. we got some final closing thoughts before Pastor Wade brings us to an ultimate close. But we wanted to remind you before we end this message that your days, the number of your days, are not up to you in the slightest. They have been ordained by God. And much of the will of God in your life is indeed time-sensitive. Which is the reason why he is stirring our souls to bring you the last few messages. We can feel that time sensitivity on the will of God in each one of your lives. What you've missed up to this point, you've already missed. But it's time to stop missing the will of God. Whether what you're preparing for today is culminating in tomorrow, is culminating in next year, the next 10 years, or culminates in your sons, you've got to get to work. In light of the fact that we are in the remaining hours, that we either enter in God's rest or we're shut out, for our own scoffing and our disobedience. 
Is there really any cost that is too high to see the will of God accomplished today in your life? A couple questions for you. I want you to ask these to yourself. Are my actions proving that I believe that things will go on just as they always have? You've put yourself in a category of a scoffer, and it's time to leave that scoffing behind this morning. Am I dreading the commitment and the personal devotion that Adonai is requiring of me? Am I longing to occupy any other time than what I've actually been given by him? Church, you don't have personal time. All you have is the time given to you by the Father in the days that were ordained for you in his book before time or your life began. And those days are already written out. When you stand before the Creator, when you stand before your Maker, will you have fulfilled your purpose in your life for your generation? That is what it comes down to for every man in this church. you got to live for that answer for an eternity. So we're going to invite you this morning... To celebrate this Yom Kippur with us by leaving the own apathetic areas of your life in the dust today. By grabbing a hold of a more kingdom productive way of life. In whatever manner the spirit of Jesus highlights to you this morning. Because you're the one that's going to have to answer to him directly should you continue to delay in doing it. Church, if you really do grasp the plan of God, do you, see, you can see now why the apostolic fathers were expecting every believer to have an understanding of the time of the overall plan of God because it moves each man. Moses was a man who completed his work, what God had ordained for him in his generation. David was a man who completed the work that God had ordained for him in his generation. Daniel was a man who completed the work that God had ordained for him in his generation. See, if you really grasp this, that this is the hour, that this is the time, then you begin to calculate everything differently. Church, it's going to change your Christian walk. It's going to change everyone around you because of what God is doing inside of you. The hour is at hand. It is time for us to rally to our post. Let me say it more pointedly. It's time for you to rally to your post. To have an urgency that it's not someone else, somewhere else that will take up the slack. But you have a post that you must rise to. Do you see what Daniel did on this screen? He is overwhelmed by the enormity of looking into our day. Daniel was overwhelmed by looking into the enormity of our day. Of our hour. Of our time. And it sat upon him and he crumbled down to the ground. But that's not what caused him to accomplish the will of God for him. What did he do? He rose. 
and he went about the king's business. He got up on his feet and rallied to his post. And that is the call of God for you in this house today. When you stand to your feet here in just a second, it is you denouncing and getting away from the scoffing idea. God's wrath will not be avoided in your life if you think that things will go on the way that they always have. You will be proven a scoffer and one who is only fulfilling their own sinful desires. But in this house today, when you get to your feet, it's you saying, I'm going to rise up. I'm going to do the king's business. I will stand at my post and work fervently in everything that I have. If that's your heart, leap to your feet right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your fire. Your holy fire that fills our souls and transforms how the way we carry out your commands. We say, fire of God, burn within us right now. Let your flame burn bright that stirs us to action, that stirs us to obedience, that does not waste one day, one hour, or one second. Lead us continually into your truth and let us fulfill the destiny you have for each of us in our day and in our time. In Jesus' name, amen.